Tonight we're going to be continuing our teaching series on the book of Galatians, walking after the Spirit. How many of you believe that it's important to know how to walk after the Spirit on a daily basis to experience the Spirit of God in our heart and in our life? We're going to recap on verse 6 before... Uh, moving forward, but let's just ask the Lord's blessing on the teaching tonight. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, in the precious name of Jesus. Lord, I ask you for the anointing of your Holy Spirit to minister your word to your people here tonight. I ask God that you would help me to rightfully divide the word of truth, God, that I would do no damage to your word, but God, that I would speak, thus saith the Lord. Anoint our ears to hear what the Spirit wants to say to us here tonight. And Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Galatians chapter 4, recapping on verses 6 through 10. The Apostle Paul said this, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son, Into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Again, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, I love that phrase there, sons, uh, because you are sons, which literally means an offspring of of God, that you are the family of God. You have been adopted into the family of God. And it says that God has set forth his spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now we see here in this verse, as we mentioned last teaching service, that it is the spirit who cries out within us. And the reason why we cry out to God is really a result of the Holy Spirit crying out within us. So it's the Spirit of God that cries out within you. It's the Spirit of God that yearns within your heart for that communion and that fellowship with the Lord. And so really, anytime you cry out to God and you pour your heart out to God in prayer or in worship, it's really a result of the Spirit of God crying out within you. The Bible says that creation groans for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That as the return of Jesus gets closer and closer, that cry, that groaning within your heart, that yearning within your soul, that it will only get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. Hallelujah. And so when you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and you feel that yearning deep within your soul, that's the Spirit of God crying out within your heart, crying out within your soul. Hallelujah. And it says here, crying, Abba, Father. Crying, Abba, Father. Now, we mentioned how Abba was simply the Aramaic word for Father and that it was a sacred name for Father. But what's interesting here is that the Apostle Paul, that he uses the word father twice 
for more emphasis. Now, what's interesting is that Abba is Aramaic, but the word here translated into father is a Greek word. So Paul, he used both Aramaic, which was the common language of the Jews, and Greek to show that God is both the father of the Jew and the Greek through faith in Jesus Christ. Whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, when you get saved in the Spirit of God comes within to your heart, you can cry out, Abba, Father, hallelujah. You can call God your heavenly Father. Jew or Gentile, black or white, Russian, Ukrainian, Austrian, Australian, it doesn't matter if you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you can cry out, Abba, Father, because the Spirit of God is crying out within you, within your soul, hallelujah. I think that we need more unity in the body of Christ. If we're going to be worshiping God for all of eternity together, I think we ought to get along better here on earth. The Spirit of God brings true unity. God has not called us to be divisive. God has not called us to to cause strife and division in the body of Christ. He's called us to preach the truth of the word of God. And when the truth of the word of God is preached, then the spirit of God will bring true unity. How many of you believe that there needs to be healing in the body of Christ? And then in verse 7, it says this, Wherefore you are no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And we dealt with this before, but I'd like to recap on it more. Again, he said, wherefore you are no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. Now, although you and I are servants of Christ, and you see that in Romans chapter 6, verses 18 and 19, you and I are servants of God, and Paul, uh, he would always, most of the time he would introduce himself as a bond slave, which was a willing servant of Jesus Christ. So we are servants of Christ, but we are his children first. First and foremost, you are a child of God. You could say that we are son and daughter servants, not servants, sons, and daughters. Most importantly, you are a son and a daughter of Christ, of God, and as a result of being a son and a daughter of God, you are a servant of Jesus Christ. And then it says, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now, an heir of God simply means a beneficiary of an inheritance, a beneficiary of an inheritance. Now, it says that you are the beneficiary of an inheritance through Christ, hallelujah, that because of your faith in Christ, because you are living your life in Christ Jesus, then you are an heir of God. You have access to the inheritance of God. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 that you have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I know that some people criticize you if you preach about the blessing of God, but I want you to know that God is a blessing God. God is 
is a God that blesses his people. The Bible says he will bless you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. If you don't believe in the blessing of God, well, that's your issue, but we believe differently. We believe that God wants to bless his people, and you can't stop us from believing God for his blessing in our life. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that. Glory to God. Sometimes things come to your mind that you want to say and then you don't know if you should say it. But a good friend of mine has recently been criticized for preaching on the blessing of God. Preaching on the blessing of God as if he's no longer preaching the cross. Now I've I put out something on social media recently to defend that friend of mine, and, and it got to him, and he sent me a text message to let me know how much he appreciated it. I told him, well, anytime I hear anything like that, I, I make sure to get your back. Because some people think that if you preach on blessing, or if you preach on biblical prosperity, or if you preach on prayer, or if you're preaching on fasting, that you're no longer preaching the cross. So they may not say that with their own words, but essentially they, they think that, and, and they convey that in, in what they have to say. I believe in preaching on the blessing of God. I believe in preaching on prayer. I believe in preaching on fasting. I believe in preaching on biblical prosperity. We believe that the cross is the foundation of the entirety of the word of God. And so when we preach on prayer and we're preaching on fasting and we're preaching on blessing, we're not preaching that instead of the cross. We're preaching that on the basis of the cross. And so preaching the cross, it, do, it should not be an anti-prayer message. It should not become an anti-fasting message. It certainly should not become an anti-blessing message. All of those things are on the basis, on the foundation of the cross of Jesus Christ. But we preach the whole book from Genesis to Revelation. We believe that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so if it's in this book, we're going to preach it whether people like it or not. Hallelujah. We're going to preach on God's blessing. We're going to preach. Jesus did not say if you pray, but he said when you pray. We're going to preach on studying the word of God. The Bible says study to show yourself approved. We're going to preach on fasting because we believe Jesus said when you fast. There are seasons to fast. Now, we don't preach we obviously preach against putting your faith in the doing of those things, but the cross will always be the foundation no matter what we preach. But I'm not afraid to preach on the blessing of God. I'm not afraid to preach that God wants to bless his people. He said in the book of Psalms, my cup runneth over. Hallelujah. You see, God is a God of more than enough. Jehovah El Shaddai, he's not Jehovah Chippo. He's a God of more than enough. God wants to bless you with more than enough. If you think that, that there's something wrong with that, then you've got to come back to the word of God because we are an heir of God through Jesus Christ. We have access to an inheritance. We have a down payment on this earth. And I want to receive everything that God has for me hallelujah sometimes I wonder why people even preach if they don't believe in anything they they talk more about what they don't believe in than than what they do believe in 
I, I believe the whole book. I believe we've got to have a full diet. I believe if it's in this book, we got to know it. We got to believe it. We have to live it. Hallelujah. None of this is in my notes, by the way. <laughs> An heir of God through Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. You are blessed. You, as the song says, I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. Every day that I live, I am blessed. When I wake up in the morning until I lay my head to rest, I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. Hallelujah. You are a child of God here tonight, and you are blessed. Hallelujah. You are blessed. And you ought to pray, God, bless my life. God, bless my family. God bless my ministry. God bless my business. God pour out your blessings upon my life. Hallelujah. He said you shall be the head and not the tail. You shall be above and not beneath. Hallelujah. How many people are living beneath the blessing of God? Because they don't believe in the blessing of God. And they don't believe that God wants to bless their life. Now, I, be, I believe that there are some who put more emphasis on the blessing than the blesser, which is wrong too. You can go from one extreme to the other, but we believe that when you know the blesser, that you're going to be blessed, that God wants to bless your life. And the way God blesses somebody else's life may be different than the way he blesses your life. The blessing of God is different in everybody's life, but God, he wants to bless your life. And the Bible says that you are an heir of God through Jesus Christ. Yes. Now, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 14, it tells us that in, life, in, in our life now that we have received a guarantee or a down payment of our inheritance. But when we are resurrected and throughout eternity, we will receive the full inheritance that Christ paid for on the cross yeah. to give us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so yes. you have that down payment right now. You have the earnest of your inheritance. Now, I love how David Borg says it, that if we only have access to 1% of that inheritance on this earth, then we ought to pray that God would give us 110% of that 1%. That God would give us everything that he has for our life. And you know, I'll also say this, and this isn't in my notes either, but sometimes people don't want to see you blessed. Sometimes people will be envious of the blessing of God in your life. Sometimes it's just sheer jealousy. And so that's why, you know, I always appreciate people in ministry, especially that are humble and that are supportive and you centered and not self-centered because those are the kind of people you want to surround yourself with in ministry. You, you don't want to be surrounded with people that are competitive and always, the only thing worse than a Debbie Downer is a one-upper. Always trying to one-up you. Those are the worst. <laughs> you, want to, you want to surround. My, my desire is to see leaders that are raised up that are better than me. That are more effective than me. That are more influential than me. True leaders do not 
just produce faithful followers, but they help develop more leaders and empower more leaders for the future. Our desire should always be that God would use those, that God would bless those around you. You know, uh, some people, and this is in my notes again, so I know I'm chasing a lot of rabbits here tonight, but I promise I'll get back to our text eventually. But, you know, some people in ministry and leadership, they fear other people around them who, are, who have strength. They, they see it as a threat rather than an asset. If you want to expand and you, you want to be used by the, for the glory of God and you want to expand the kingdom of God, then you need strong people around you. You need people of strength. You need people that are confident in the call of God and the power of the Holy Ghost deep within their soul so that they can help you further the kingdom of God. I, I don't believe in a one-man show. I don't believe that. I believe, I believe in the body of Christ. I believe that we work together for the kingdom of God and to further the body of Christ. But getting back to my text here tonight, you are an heir of God through Jesus Christ. Now, moving on to verse 8, recapping on verse 8, it says this. It says, How be it then, when you knew not God, you did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. Again, how be it then, when you knew not God, you did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. Now, we talked about here that Paul, that he's making the point that before they knew God, before they were saved, that they served false gods and, they were the, and that they were under their laws. They were under the legalism of these false gods that they were serving. Now, I also mentioned that the legalism that these Galatian believers were going back to was not the legalism of these false gods that they once served, but it was limited just to going back to uh, Judaism, going back to the law. In verse 9, it says this, But now, after that you have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto do you desire again to be in bondage? I want to read that again. But now after that you have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? Now the question here, how is? He said, how is? That really, it showed us that this was a question full of wonder. Paul, when he was asking this question, he was full of wonder. How in the world would you ever want to go back to the law? After experiencing the grace of God, how could you ever go back to the law? How could you ever turn again to the weak and the beggarly elements of the law. In other words, how is it even possible that you would even entertain the thought of turning away from grace back to law? Amen. How could you even entertain the thought? You've been set free through Jesus Christ. You have been made free from the law, from the demands of the law. Why would you ever want to go back to the beggarly elements of the law? Now, this same question, I think it shoots right to the heart of, of the uh, Hebraic Roots movement that teaches that as a Christian, that you've still got to keep the Old Testament law. 
that you've got to observe the holy days and you've got to keep the Sabbath and so on and so forth. Paul is asking the same question to them. Why would you ever want to go back to that? <clears throat> Why would you ever want to turn from grace back to the law? Now that word turn there, it's in present tense. And so this means that they, they were presently in the act of turning away from grace to law. <clears throat> Again, that word turn there, it was in present tense. So they were presently in the process of turning away from grace back to law. And so the, the, it says here to the weak and the beggarly elements. Now the weak and the beggarly elements were the laws that were given by the Judaizers that were being promoted as producing righteousness before God. That's what these weak and beggarly elements were. These were the laws of the false teachers when they came in that were, that were telling the people of God, you've got to go back to the law. Now, what's interesting is that Paul, he referred to the, the law as weak and beggarly. Now, the word weak there, it means feeble or without strength. Feeble or without strength. And that word beggarly there, it means powerless to accomplish anything lacking in everything. Again, powerless to accomplish anything or lacking in everything. Now, when that word is used in regards to a person, the, the idea is a beggar that has no means to help himself except to beg. That's the word picture there. Paul, he referred to the law as the beggarly elements of the law. In other words, when you're trying to keep the Old, Old Testament elements of the law then you're, you're trusting in something that is powerless. It does not have the power to make you righteous in the eyes of God. Now, I was recently in Miami, Florida for my birthday, and the area where I was in, it was a huge uh, Jewish community. I, I felt like I was the only Gentile down there. And um, a big group of them had actually sung me happy birthday in Hebrew, which was pretty cool. But uh, I had very extensive conversations with some of them because I, I was really trying to, to, to get into their way of thinking. How do, what do they believe as it regards the law? How do they perceive Jesus Christ? And I was asking them, you know, what their view was on Jesus Christ. And, and you know, some of them actually believe that Jesus, when he was performing miracles, some of them actually believe that he actually performed some of those miracles that he actually walked on water, so on and so forth, but they don't believe that it was because he was the son of God or God in the flesh, but simply because he did them in those, those works in the name of God and because the, the, the name of God had power. But I've got news. Jesus did not just do things in the name of God. Jesus was God in the flesh and Jesus fulfilled the entirety of the law. Jesus is the Messiah, but I was asking them the question, you know, what do you do? Because in their book, you know, they, they believe in the Pentateuch, that the first five books of the, the Old Testament, that's their, their core uh, beliefs. And, and they also, they believe in many of the Old Testament prophets as well. But the first five books of the Old Testament, that's what they really dictate their life off of. And so in their own book, it was a requirement within the Pentateuch uh, to offer up sacrifices for your sins uh, on the Day of Atonement. And so I asked them the question because they admitted that they 
sinned and I asked them, have you ever done this? Have you ever done that? Just to get them to acknowledge that they're imperfect. And then once I brought them to that point, then I asked them the question, what do you do whenever you've fallen short if you don't have a sacrificial system to offer up for the atonement of your sin? And so they said, well, it really depends on the, the sin, you know, uh, depending on the sin, sometimes you have to fast uh, this amount of days, and sometimes you have to fast that amount of days. And I said, well, what, where do you go? Where do you, where do you, what do you base that off of? Well, it depends on Jewish tradition and, and Jewish scholars and what this person said and what that, that person said. I said, well, how do you know if you're fasting long enough? How do you know that you're, if you're only fasting three days, how do you know you're not supposed to fast seven days? Where, where do you get that way of thinking? And I was explaining to them that when it comes to law, you're never going to feel like you're doing enough because you're trusting in the wrong thing. And so if you think that by doing more, you're going to be more righteous in the eyes of God, then you're going to keep going and going. You're going to be like the Energizer Bunny. You're just going to keep going and going and going and going and going and going, but you're never going to feel like you've done enough. You're never going to feel like you're righteous enough. You're never going to feel like you've met the righteous requirements of God. But when you come to Jesus, then you'll know you're already righteous by faith, that you don't have to work to become righteous. You're already righteous because you believe. When Jesus said it is finished, he was saying the work is done. Hallelujah. The, the Bible says that heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. Have you ever had a long day at work and then you got back home and you kicked your feet up on a footstool? Basically, you were saying the work is done. It is finished. When Jesus died on Calvary and when Jesus was seated at the right hand of the heavenly father, he kicked his feet up. The Bible says the earth is his footstool and he was saying it is finished. Hallelujah. The work is done. Hallelujah. You no longer are bound to the requirements of the law. You have been set free from the requirements of the law. And if you have been set free from the demands of the law, why would you ever have the desire to be in bondage again? Why would you ever have the desire to go back to the law? He said in verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years. And so under the influence of the Judaizers, the Galatians had at least begun to observe the Mosaic calendar. They were keeping the, the special days such as weekly Sabbaths and they were keeping the new moons in the years such as uh, sabbatical and jubilee years. Now Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16, I'm trying to get out of my recap here this morning, this evening, but Colossians uh, chapter 2 and, and verse 16, Paul said, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of any holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. That is, or you could say, but the body of Jesus Christ. Yes. So again, that's Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. Paul, he said, let no man judge you in holy days, in meat or drink, in the special days that you keep or special Jewish days that, that you don't keep, don't let any man judge you for those things. Now, verse 11, Paul said this, moving on, verse 11. 
Paul said, I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Again, he said, I am afraid of you, or I'm afraid for you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Now, this verse, this verse here is full of Paul's heart for the Galatians. Really, it's as if his tears can be sensed in his words. Paul, he had a heart for the Jewish believer, for the Galatian believers here. He said, I'm afraid for you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. That word afraid there, it means to fear. Or in this case, Paul, he was fearful because he loved them so much. I'm afraid for you that I have labored in vain or lest I have labored for you in vain. That word labor there means to labor to the point of exhaustion. I have labored for you in vain. Now it is in the, it, uh, it is in the perfect tense, which is a past action with continuing re results. In other words, this goes back to when he was with them, and yet they are continuing to receive the benefit of Paul's message. I am afraid for you that I have labored for you in vain. Now, for you in vain, basically Paul, he was deeply concerned that all that Jesus had done in them would end up in vain. In other words, empty, with no meaning. He was concerned that everything that God had performed in their life, because they had turned away from the truth, that, would, that it would all be for nothing. That it would all be in vain. I want to read one more verse here tonight before closing. He said, brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as you are. You have not injured me at all. Now the point of this verse is become free from the law as I am. For after my conversion, I became like the Gentiles, no longer living under the law. Again, you could, you could say in essence what this verse means is Paul is telling the Galatian believers, become free from the law as I am. For after my conversion, I became like the Gentiles, no longer living under the law. Isn't it ironic that Paul, who was a Jew, who used to keep the law, was then living like the Gentiles, and yet the Gentile believers in Galatia were trying to live like the Jews? Paul, he was saying, be like I am. I'm free from the law, and you should be free from the law as well. I've been set free from the righteous requirements of the law through Jesus Christ, and you should be free as well. Hallelujah. And the Galatian Gentiles, essentially what they were doing is they were putting themselves under the law after they were converted, after they were saved, after they were born again. They were putting themselves back under the law. Paul said, be as I am, for I am as you are. Be like me, free from the law. Live your life like me, free from the demands of the law. God does not intend for you to be bound by legalism of any sort, whether it's Old Testament law, self-made laws, church-made laws, religious laws, traditional laws. God does not intend for you to be bound by law. He intends for you to be free, free to live for God. 
free to walk righteously. Grace is not a license to sin, but grace is, is the ability to live a life pleasing unto God. And as a child of God, you've got the law of God written upon your hearts. The conviction of the Holy Ghost, the conviction of the Spirit of God. And so you don't need to have these laws written out. Thou shalt listen to this song and thou shalt not listen to that song. Because you've got the Spirit of God within you convicting your heart and revealing to you what's pleasing to God and what's not pleasing to God and I believe in the personal conviction of the Holy Ghost of the Holy Spirit of the Holy Spirit I believe that the Spirit of God will personally convict the child of God that when you're saved no matter where you are no matter what you're doing the Spirit of God is there to correct us to convict us to change us Although condemnation should not be a part of your life, conviction most certainly should be a part of our life because conviction, it's intended to drive us closer to Jesus. Condemnation is hell's tool to drive you away from God, but conviction is the spirit of God's tool to drive you closer to Jesus. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Singers, and musicians can come back here tonight.